This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something else. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Something Rhymes with Purple. This is our 165th podcast, but it may be the first one you have ever heard. And if it is, we want to make it something so interesting to you that you want to come back week in, week out. I do this every week with my friend, the world's leading lexicographer. That's how I think of her. That's how most people who listen to the podcast think of her. She is much more modest. Her name is Susie Dent. Hello. Well, is that all you're going to say, Susie? <laughs> yes, because you know what I'm doing? I'm currently trying to, um, I've got basically a box in the corner of my screen with you gracing the right-hand corner and me uh, not so much gracing the left-hand corner. And I want to get rid of myself, but I keep getting rid of you. So that's, if I look a bit distracted, it's because I'm trying to um, see more of you and less of me. You sound like my wife who's been trying to get rid of me for 50 years. <laughs> no, I'm trying to get you on this. Uh, well, anyway, that's... hello, lovely to speak to you. It's lovely to speak to you. And suddenly introducing this podcast has reminded me that about 50 years ago, almost as long ago as that, when I was very young and beginning to work in the theatre, I went one day to have lunch with an actor who was quite well known at the time. He was called Sir John Clements. He and his wife were um, fa famous as, as actors in the 1930s, 40s and 50s. And he eventually succeeded Sir Laurence Olivier as the director of the Chichester Festival Theatre. Ah. And we were having lunch in a restaurant in the Haymarket in London. He was appearing in a play at the Theatre Royal Haymarket, one of the oldest and most beautiful theatres in London. Also with us at lunch was my best friend at the time, he's no longer alive, an actor called Simon Cadell. And it was lunchtime, and they were going to do a matinee at 2.30. We were having lunch first. And Simon ordered a glass of wine. And Sir John Clements said, what are you doing? And Simon said, well, I'm having a glass of wine, sir. And he said, no, you're not. We've got a matinee at 2.30. And Simon, young man in his early 20s, said, but, but Sir John, just one glass of wine, it won't make any difference. He said, it might take the edge off your performance. And Simon said, but, sir, let's be honest, the show's not going that well. There are going to be about 50 people in the audience. And Sir John Clements said, if there is one person in that audience who has never seen me before, I intend to be at my best. And I would advise you to do the same. And ever since that moment, I've always thought every time I go out onto a stage or do a broadcast or I'm here doing a podcast, I think, hmm, there may be somebody out there who hasn't come across me or this before, and we better do it as well as we can. So... Susie, in that spirit, yes. let's make this our 165th podcast, perhaps our most intriguing and best ever. Well, we shall try. We, um, we shall try. 
I have yes. to, I have to start with an example of where I wasn't at my most stellar <laughs> and an apology because it's time for a purple putting to rights section because we have had many purple people who heard last week's episode, which was on measurements, if you remember. Um, it was called Furlong. And we said, Giles, and it was probably me leading up the garden path, that there were 12 ounces in a pound. So thank you to Peter Collins and Mary Scanlon and lots and lots of other purple people who got in touch to let us know there are 16. So I'm so sorry about that. Well, I only wish there were just a dozen in <laughs> a pound because then I'd be losing weight more rapidly and I'd be losing more pounds than I am. I, well, a big apology for me on the number of ounces. And Giles, I would just say to you, just don't stress about the ounces. Clearly, oh, <laughs> we didn't last week. <laughs> don't stress about the answers. I won't stress about the answers. I do stress about words and language. And today you're going to hear a great deal from Susie because we've decided we're going to talk about the world of insects. And I'm no entomologist. Am I right, though, Susie, that entomologist is the word for somebody who knows about insects? Yes, exactly. The, the famous joke is people are always getting confused between an entomologist and an etymologist, and it really bugs me because it is all oh, about bugs. Very good. How are you with creepy crawlies, first of all? I'm in a different room. The creepy crawly appears. <laughs> I'm out the house. I, really? I, no, I'm not as bad as I have to say my wife is. She really doesn't like spiders. She hates flies. In the kitchen, she hates flies. And indeed, we have got one of those rather sinister machines with a blue light that oh, seems yes. to attract flies. And you hear this terrible sizzling sound, yes. which is perhaps rather shaming to admit, particularly since we're both vegetarians. But she hates flies and she is fearful of spiders, which I am not, to be honest. I am the one who catches them in the mm. top of the upturned glass, tries to put a bit of newspaper underneath to carry the spider safely into the garden. Oh, um, good for you. So that's me. But spiders are insects, yes? So spiders are arachnids, really. So they are, I always remember the very famous uh, definition in Samuel Johnson's dictionary of a spider when it, he wanted to kind of look into its etymology, not its entomology. And he said, so-called perhaps because it spies the door from its, <laughs> <laughs> from its resting place. But yeah, so an arachnid is an arthropod. And I don't think, I'm just looking this up now, I don't think an arthropod would be necessarily classed as you know, or solely an insect. So it can be an insect, a spider, or a crustacean. That's an invertebrate, essentially. While we're with the spiders, though, what mm. is the origin of uh, an arachna, whatever it is? I know about arachnid. arachnophobia. An arachnid. How does that yes. word formed? And then where do we get spider from? Okay, so spider itself, despite what Samuel uh, said, Samuel Johnson said, it comes from an old English root meaning to spin which oh. makes spent a sense, and it's die Spinne you will find in uh, in German as well. An arachnid, which gives us arachnophobia, goes back simply to the Greek for spider. So quite easy, that one. So you can see already the different influences that come to bear upon English. Since you don't know how many ounces there are in a pound, I'm not <laughs> going to ask you how many legs the normal spider has. Uh, Incy Wincy always has. How many? How many? Hmm. This is, this is, I'm so bad at numbers. I think it's eight. I think so. Let's give yes. a spider eight legs. They have eight legs, except if you were at my uh, prep school, where there were horrible No, boys. don't tell me. I won't tell you. I won't go, I won't <laughs> even name him. But uh, this is no joke. Spiders do have eight legs that they walk Good. with. But they also have a pair that they use sort of like hands. And these are yeah. the, a front pair of legs. They are referred to as 
pedipalps, or just palps for short. So mm. a spider has eight legs and two forward limbs as well. Okay. Um, I think some spiders possibly can have more. I don't know. Oh, I'm sure there are. And actually, what's quite interesting about the spider, the arachnid, is that its body is essentially unsegmented. So it's got a fused thorax and abdomen. And the etymology of insect will explain why we don't call spiders necessarily you know, directly an insect, we call it an arachnid, because an insect goes back to the Latin insectum, which means with a divided body, so literally cut into. And that's because insects appear to be cut into three different sections, so three body parts and, and their legs. Absolutely. And I think insects do only have six legs. I think it's one of the essential okay. differences between the insect and the spider. Six legs on your insect, eight legs on your spider, and they're also carnivorous, aren't they? Spiders. Yeah. 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 And, Flies. and of course, they hunt using venom. And in certain parts of the world, some of the spiders you can meet are pretty lethal. What about a fly? We don't know where fly comes from, and isn't that strange? But, but it must be know, because it flies about. Isn't that the reason it's called a fly? You'd think it would be really, really simple. But actually, it's called different things in different languages which aren't related to the fact that they fly, which suggests that actually it's not quite as simple. I mean, obviously, there's connection there. The German is fliegen, so that means to fly. But where that goes back to before then, we're not completely sure. But yeah, Germanic for sure. And you know how I always say that a lot of words in Old English actually described an entire class of things rather than just that individual thing. So I always say to you that the word deer meant any animal and that the word meat meant any food whatsoever. Yes. So it was with fly because a fly in Old English was any winged insect whatsoever, not what we would call necessarily a fly today. Flies have been around I think, for hundreds of millions of years. I think they're I'm among sure. the first animals to evolve flight. Do we know how old in English the word fly is? I mean, could that help us find the root of its etymology? Well, it goes back, as I say, to Old English. So, you know, since the beginning, pretty much. Whether or not there is, I suspect, an absolutely ancient root, so it may go back to that reconstructed language that I mention, often called Proto-Indo-European. But it, it has it's sort of, it's got a relatives in German, so you have the flieger, but in French, of course, it's called a mouche. Uh, mm. So that obviously came to us via a very different route. And yes, it goes back, we think, possibly, to an ancient, ancient route, meaning to flow, but we're not completely sure. I remember I was at the French Lycée in London when I was a very little boy, and I used to find it very confusing that mouche, meaning fly, was mouche, and mouchoir meaning um, handkerchief, was handkerchief. handkerchief. And the mm. idea of finding a fly in your hanky, you know, you blew your nose, ah, was quite horrific. Um, anyway, explain to me how there's some expressions that, I mean, fly obviously has had, a, there are all sorts of other things that are flies, that are fishing flies, which are related to flies because they are about insects. But there are flies that people used to have on their trousers, the little buttons at the front of people's trousers. Do you know why yes. they're called fly buttons? Yes. Do you know what? I always used to say that it was a little bit like zip because they you zip them up uh, very, very quickly. Um, other people would say it's because things kind of flap open uh, a little bit okay. if you leave your flies undone. Uh, but some people think that it goes back to the idea that they're only partly attached to their base, these flies, as if they could kind of fly off. So I get that for buttons. Would you still so you would still call a zip your flies, wouldn't you? And that's that you know that isn't yeah. so much the case that it could fly off. But of course, you have flies in the theatre as well, don't you? 
indeed, where the scenery flies out, though, that I can yes. see why they're called the flies. Yes, um, uh, but that—that's the idea. But I think it might just be the idea of everything <laughs> flying freely uh, if things go wrong. And I suppose that's what the dictionary is saying: is that you know they could fly off at any time. Fly on the wall is an expression that people mm. use all the time. Yeah, someone who's kind of listening in, if you like. So that that goes back to the 1920s. So it's any observer oh. who's unperceived and can overhear things, like a little innocent innocuous fly that actually is a party to proceedings, even though you don't know it. What about the fly in the ointment? Again, quite obvious, rather like the mouche in the mouchoir. A fly in the ointment is something you don't want to see. How, how yeah. old is that as an expression? That's from the Bible. So we're talking oh. pretty old here. Wow. And yes. And it doesn't appear quite in that form. So the phrase from Ecclesiastes is, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savour. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honour. Uh, so uh, a little bit of stupidity, even if it's in somebody who is, is prized for their wisdom and honour, is, is never going to look good. Well, the fly in the ointment is that we have to stop occasionally when we're in full flow, but we yes, don't mind because we, have because a we, we come <laughs> back after the break when we'll, you'll find bees in our bonnet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. This is Something Rhymes with Purple. We're in the world of entomology today, discussing flies and insects, discovering the difference. And we've now got on to the busy, busy bee. Hmm. Uh, is a bee an insect? A bee is an insect. Good. Yes. And it's the a very bee simple has word. been very, very busy when it comes to English. I mean, there are so many words and phrases related to it, either directly like a busy bee or a sewing bee, spelling bee, a bee line, bee in your bonnet. Uh, as you say, so many different ones. And we've also got the hive mind, you know, the sort of mind as though that it's it's kind of governed by the, the law of a hive. So that's an entity that's got a large number of people and they share their knowledge and they share their opinion. So it's kind of collective work and it's non-hierarchical, although, of course, you have the queen bee. That's another word that we have in our language. Where does the basic bee come from? What's the origin of this amazingly straightforward word? B double E. Yes. Germanic, uh, again, possibly an ancient root meaning to fear in the sense that it's quivering. So whether it means quivering as in the bees buzzing around or that actually they inspired fear in their beholder. I love bees. I particularly love bumblebees, which, as you know, uh, used to be called D Dumbledores, hence uh, J.K. Yes. Rowling's choice of Dumbledore. Oh, of course. Why were they called Dumbledores? They just were. It was just an old dialect term, and um, I'm not sure about the door bit. I think that was quite a regular suffix, but I love the fact that it was chosen for 
the master of Hogwarts, really, because J.K. Rowling said she used to imagine Dumbledore walking around his office humming to himself, uh, which is quite lovely. But bear with me and I will look up what the... I mean, the, there's a Dumble and there's a Humble. It used to be called the Humblebee as well and um, the Bumblebee. So those are all of a muchness. But the door bit comes from... Oh, actually, Old English... Any insect that flies with a loud humming noise. Ah, it's the bzzz, it's the boom, bzzz, mm. But the door bit is not necessarily, it's not very onomatopoeic, so they don't know where that came from. Well, the, the bee has been used, as you say, in so many other words and phrases. Can we start with the bee's knees? Why somebody <laughs> described something was uh, the acme, something that's really good, is described yeah. as the bee's knees. Yes. Well, the bee's knee, I think we've talked about this before in the pod, actually. Uh, the bee's knees used to be used to describe something that was really, really tiny. And what could be tinier than the knee of a bee? Oh. Um, but like so many formulations, similar formulations that were just coined to express, as you say, the acme of excellence, the very best of something, I think because it sounded like that, it was then used for something that was really, really good. So you can see it shift if you trace it in the OED. And as you know, because I always say there were so many other brilliant ones like the kipper's knickers and the elephant's adenoids and indeed the dog's bollocks, which if you remember, again, started off as something very different, the colon dash amongst typographers. And then because it sounded like the cat's whiskers, etc., became again a by word for excellence. Good. Well, so the bee's knees is the cat's whiskers, if not the it dog's is. bollocks. It is. Exactly. Lovely. Exactly. And the busy bee is simply because... They're it's... very sociable and they uh... work incredibly hard. And also the bee line I find quite interesting because before there were very good studies of the behaviour of a bee, people believed that they instinctively took a straight line when returning to the uh... hive. Um, I don't think that's necessarily true, but that's what people believed. They'd certainly, when I observe them, they don't seem to be following a straight line. No. <laughs> they seem to be buzzing around all over the place. I know. They are gorgeous, gorgeous creatures. What about getting bee bees in your bonnet? Bees in your bonnet is, uh, if you've got, it, the people used to say you had a head full of bees as well. It's just a sort of obsessive person as if you've just got so many thoughts buzzing around in your head. Uh, that's the idea there. And then a spelling bee or a sewing bee is a gathering which again is suggested by that hive mentality, the social nature of the insect, how they all come together and collectively work. I'm old enough to remember the time when people went around with beehive hairdos. Oh, yes. So-called, I suppose, because it looked like a traditional beehive, a kind of mound of hair. Exactly, exactly. It goes back to 1909. That was our first record of it. Really? Hmm. Gosh, I was would have been convinced it was a post-war thing. I can't picture people in Edwardian times with beehive hairdos. How yes. Interesting. Uh, well, it's less a hairdo, more a hat, probably in those days, um, uh. I would think. And then the beehive-shaped hairstyle, I think, was more nineteen sixties. Actually, yeah. um, that's when it came out. Yeah. Caterpillar mm. is is it? Well, I mean, are we allowed to discuss caterpillars today? Are they? Are they? They're not worms, are they? They are insects of a I know sort. They're aren't insects. They? Oh my goodness, we're going to get absolutely slaughtered by the purple people now because we don't know our insects from our... We do, yes, from our pounds uh, and ounces. <laughs> so I love caterpillar. Oh, do you? You love caterpillars? I love caterpillars and I love them linguistically as well because they come from the French or old French for a shaggy cat, a chateau A shaggy cat, which I think is brilliant because someone 
somehow stretch their imagination to think that a caterpillar's head looked like a cat. And believe it or not, the current modern French for a caterpillar is chenille, which goes back to the Latin canicula, meaning a little dog, because someone thought that the head of a caterpillar looked like a dog. I mean, you couldn't really make it up. And there's a lovely, lovely word in Welsh, which I'm not going to try and pronounce because I feel like our heads are already on the block, but it means hairy tailor. Or, there's another one, Taylor with 100 feet. And I would love Welsh-speaking purple people, A, to tell me how to pronounce it, and B, to explain why and what has to do with a tailor. Mm. Please, get in touch. Purple at somethingelse.com. Also, the catkin, which is really nice. You know the catkins that fall from trees, those flowering spikes of trees? You get them from willow and hazel, and I think they're pollinated by the wind. Those go back to the same idea of looking like a caterpillar. The mosquito. Oh, mm. these, I'm, I'm not very fond of mosquitoes. And I have been, no. uh, I've been on holiday where most of it seems to have been spent with a rolled up newspaper um, <laughs> bashing the walls in, uh, when I used to go to sort of Mediterranean places where there were whitewashed walls inside wherever you were staying. Yeah. And you'd bash the mosquito, you'd leave the squash mosquito on the wall and then a, a sort of mark of the print of oh, the dear. newspaper. So, oh, dearie me. So anything to do with mosquitoes is rather leaving me cold. I'm just the first person to get bitten and they're usually the only person to get bitten really badly as well. They just love me, unfortunately. This is why I want to go on holiday with you because they, you just sort of, you are the... the you, yeah, they just come. They, they love to suck your blood. Why yeah. are they called mosquitoes? What is the origin of that? Okay, well, the ito bit is the Spanish diminutive, so it just means little, and the mosca in Spanish means fly. So a mosquito is a little fly, but as we know, there's so much more than that. And there's a lovely link, if you remember, between the mosquito and a canopy, because canopy goes back to the Greek conops, meaning a curtain from what, you know, to prevent, well, it's mosquito curtain, essentially, that you would drape over your bed to stop mosquitoes coming in. And eventually then it was transferred to the bed rather than the curtain, which is when, if you remember, we eat canapes at a party. That's related too, because things look like food on served on little beds. But they all go back, believe it or not, to Connops, the mosquito. So that is a, a canapé. And do you remember one of my trios once was a lovely German word, Volve. Volve, W-O-H-L-W-E-H. And it means pleasurable pain. And I mention this only in relation to our bites because there is nothing like scratching a mosquito bite before it gets really sore. That is just, it just feels so good. It's quite satisfying, is it? Yes, yeah. but then obviously it all goes horribly wrong. I remember my father telling me, don't bother with killing the mosquitoes. They only live for seven days anyway. So if you wait oh, really? long enough. Yes, but I said, we're on holiday here for a week. Um, yeah, so but then you get the dying. new ones anyway. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I think, look, let's wrap up insects with that, because if we start in other areas like butterflies, uh, there's so much to be said about butterflies that I no. think we should devote, we should have a butterfly issue. Uh, oh, yeah, actually, because we can name all the different, uh, like Monarch and uh, yeah. all, the, all the beautiful And, and you can explain to me about how a butterfly, I mean, the, butterflies to me are about the magic of creation. The fact that this yeah. funny thing, this chrysalis turns into mm. a caterpillar, turns mm. into a butterfly, seems to me to be sort of almost beyond belief. 
Yeah, I agree. Okay, we'll do a butterfly episode. It's fantastic. Uh, Now, look, I want to say to people, um, we love burbling and we we meet every week to do this, but we do little extra episodes too on on themes that we think are particularly fun. And if you want to support the show in any way, you can do so for a monthly subscription of $1.89 a month. You don't have to. The podcast is free and available to all and everybody. But we do do these extra uh, episodes. We do also. If you do subscribe, you get the episodes ad free, and you get discount codes on the merchandise and access to our bonus episodes. And um, we've done some fun bonus episodes, haven't we? We have done some fun ones. And as we would always say, if you can't afford it, it's totally fine because these will remain free and um, all our archive is there. Also, Giles, we haven't we haven't talked about beetles or wasps or bugs. We're going to have to come back to this. We will have to, but you must give us bug because you began by with your amusing joke about the difference between uh, an etymology and entomology. Yes. Uh, it bugging you that you couldn't work out the difference. What is the origin of bug? Let's finish on that one. Oh, it's we don't know exactly where it comes from, but... But it definitely, if we're looking at uh, sort of the late 14th century, it meant something frightening. And that's why we have a bugbear as well and as bugaboo and all that kind of thing. And the computer bug, a lot of people think it goes back to a famous episode described by Thomas Edison, who talks about a bug in his phonograph. And uh, if you look at the article, you will see it's quite clear that actually he was making a bit of a, a riff or a joke on an existing sense of bug to mean a difficulty or something that has gone wrong, as if some imaginary insect has kind of got inside your computer and caused all the trouble. But there is actually, if you remember, a photograph. And in fact, I think the the actual bug was also captured. So you will find that in some museum somewhere, but that's not the origin of the computer bug. And so curious that bug can be negative, when also it's often positive when you think about being as snug as a bug in a rug. Yes, or the love bug. Oh, indeed. This, I think we've got to come back to this very, very soon indeed. Uh, But we we try not to make our episodes too long so that if you're going for a walk or a run or you're on a commute, we fill up the time quite nicely. But you can tell us what you want because keep in touch with us and people do. We have lots of correspondence every week and keep sending any questions, queries, comments to us, Purple, at something else. And if you'd like to connect with like-minded purple people all around the world, there is, of course, the Something Rhymes with Purple Facebook group run by our longtime friend of the pod, Craig, and his uh, gorgeous guide dog, Bruce. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, before we dive into the correspondence, we wanted to give a shout-out to Sandeep Sandhu, who has had a short story published in a publication. Sandeep wrote in to say, Thank you. As they said, they wouldn't have done it if they weren't inspired by the podcast and our episode Gongoozle. Oh, amazing. Which was, I think, back episode 101 on waterways. Fantastic. So do dip in. Go to the back catalogue and see how we've changed in the last couple of years. Oh, Susie, I must tell you something awful. Vanity. Vanity. Always vanity. On Twitter, we're both on Twitter, by the way. Yeah. Somebody had, had put on Twitter... A link to an inter- a radio interview with me done not that long ago, I thought, 1985. Mm-hmm. And I, vanity, vanity, this will teach me. I pressed the link and began hearing this interview with me. I sounded so ghastly. Oh. The strangulated voice. I, I sounded, I mean, it's interesting how accents have evolved. Yes, and because like we've the been, queen. We've been marking the queen's platinum jubilee mm. and therefore people may have heard broadcast 
various speeches made by the Queen at the time yes, of her so accession different. and her coronation. And her maybe, you know, totally strangulated voice like that. It was criticized at the time. Yes. And and I fear off, off in the uh, house. Well, in yes. nineteen eighty five, I'm afraid I still sounded a bit like that. It is so it's cringe making. Oh. Uh, and what interests me is I'm not conscious of having toned down my voice ever since, but I must have done so. Yeah, oh, um, we all have. Isn't that interesting? But I guarantee that when you are with the Queen or when you were with Prince Philip, you actually would also have changed, you would have modulated your speech patterns a little bit. Do people do that with yes, the company they keep? Yes, we all shapeshift all the time. Well, over the years, Susie, we've had people from around the world getting in touch and we've had people of all, all ages. Am I right in thinking today it could be our youngest pod listener getting in touch I really hope so. But, you know, there is always time for somebody to come in and pip Imogen to the post. But this is Imogen and she's nine years old and I absolutely love her question. My name is Imogen and I'm nine years old. I love something rhymes with purple. Could you please ask Susie where the word museum comes from? Thank you. Well, Susie, that's the question. Where does the word museum come from? I love the sound of Imogen. I love the sound of Imogen too. And it is such a good question, Imogen. So thank you. Well, I don't know whether you will have heard of nine goddesses of classical mythology, and they were believed to inspire every bit of learning and every bit of creativity. And there was a lovely story attached to these nine muses, was that anyone who heard them sing would instantly forget their troubles. And that is where we get music from, from those nine muses. But anyway, the museum is so named because originally they were places dedicated to the muses, these nine goddesses who were believed to inspire every bit of human learning. I hope that helps. It doesn't help. It's conclusive. It tells us everything we need to know. That's lovely. So whatever age you are, please keep the questions coming and the comments too. It's purple at somethingelse.com. And Imogen, I would just say I'm very sorry about the dog's bollocks. <laughs> well, you shouldn't be apologising to her. She's amused. It's her parents <laughs> who are saying, oh, I don't know that it's a good thing for Imogen to be listening to this. Does she listen unsupervised? Oh, dear, dear, dear. Don't worry, Imogen. I think you can cope with whatever. That's the joy of language. It's rich. <laughs> oh, it is so rich. And also, I would just say, you mentioned a muse there, just in case Imogen was, was wondering whether that is linked to a museum. Actually, that goes back to an old French word, meaning to stare stupidly. Um, and actually, the first meanings of a muse were all to do with deceiving people rather than entertaining them. So that's got a slightly, slightly different origin. But guess what? It is linked, if you go back far enough, to these ancient muses, because the whole idea was that you were inspiring some kind of emotion. And in this case, it was basically an emotion where you were a bit gullible and believing things that you shouldn't. Well, now we move to three words from Susie before you get two very short poems from me. What are your three words this week? Well, there was a book that I was really looking forward to getting. And um, for anyone who knows John Koenig's website, you will know what I'm talking about because John Koenig is a brilliant man who essentially created some beautiful, beautiful new words that we didn't have. So he filled lots of gaps in English in the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. So it's been a website for a long time and he's made it into a book. So these are three choices from, from him, basically to thank him for all the work that he's done over the years, because I absolutely love it. So this is a lovely one. The first one is slip fast. Slip fast, the longing to disappear completely by melting into a crowd and becoming invisible. 
Isn't that lovely? We've all felt that. Now, this next one, John has filled a gap that I get asked about so often. People say, how you do you describe the sadness at finishing a good book or a good box set or whatever it is. And I always turn them to Finny Fugel. I I direct them to Finny Fugel, which is a word in the Oxford English Dictionary, meaning end shunning. So in other words, you're shunning the end. You don't want to get to the end because it's just so good. But actually, John Koenig has basically created loose left. Loose left is the feeling of loss upon finishing a good book. And how do you spell that? Loose, as in L-O-O-S-E, and then left. Loose left. Lovely. And the third one is just to make you laugh, really. Hanker saw. (laughs) Hanker saw is finding someone else so attractive, it actually pisses you off. (laughs) (laughs) Hanker saw. So there we go. (laughs) Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. Well, it's it's wonderful. It's a wonderful book. Yes. I've I've been dipping into a wonderful book, too. One of my favourite books. I have always loved the poetry of... uh, Ogden Nash. His full name, I think, was Frederick Ogden Nash. Mm. He was an American poet, known for his light verse. He wrote sort of 500 short poems. Uh, He lived a while ago, born in 1902, died in 1971. And I have a a little collection of his poems called Ogden Nash's Zoo. And there's a whole section devoted to insects. And I'm going to share a couple of these poems with you. One is called The Fly. It's very short, and it runs to two lines. Fly. The Lord, in his wisdom, made the fly, and then forgot to tell us why. (laughs) This is a rather longer one, the caterpillar, and I think what's intriguing about it is that all the facts within it are apparently, according to the um, botanists, or is it biologists? Who's who? who Entomologists, thank you. Botanists, that's plants, isn't it? Dear me. <laughs> yes. I should listen to the podcast more, um, more carefully. It's called The Caterpillar. And what intrigues me is that according to the entomologists, all the details within the poem are correct. The Caterpillar by Ogden Nash. I find among the poems of Schiller no mention of the caterpillar, nor can I find one anywhere in Petrarch or in Baudelaire. So here I sit in extra session to give my personal impression. The caterpillar, as it's called, is often hairy, seldom bald. It looks as if it never shaves, when, as it walks, it walks in waves. And from the cradle to the chrysalis, it's utterly speechless, songless, whistleless. Ooh. Wow, I can imagine it's whistleless. Yeah, yeah, very clever. Clever stuff. Clever guy, that Ogden Very Nash. clever indeed. Yes, he certainly was. Um, well, we hope you've enjoyed today. And uh, as I said, there's a lot more we can say about insects. So we will return. But please do recommend us to other people if you did like us. Or most importantly, get in touch. Purple at somethingelse.com. I ought to mention, you know, that we currently, before we disappear, we currently have 20% off on all our stock in our online store. We've got amusing merch that people might like. If you're an enthusiastic purple person, go to the link in the episode description and uh, or, or Google uh, Contraband Shop. Uh, it's contraband spelt with a K. Contraband Shop, something rhymes with purple. And we've got T-shirts and mugs and totes available while stocks last. 
Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production. It was produced by Lawrence Bassett, Harriet Wells, with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Jen Mystery, Jay Beale, and uh, does he look like an insect? I don't know. He's, He's a not... shaggy caterpillar. He's a shaggy cat, <laughs> Please, his, his private life is neither here nor there. <laughs> Remember, we've got no. nine-year-olds listening. Anyway. No, he's a chatterpillar, <laughs> is what I mean. He is, he is a caterpillar, I think. Which means that he could turn into a butterfly. Well, we live for that. Yeah, it's gully. <laughs>